SciShow Tangents is brought to you by Shopify. Hank, when you started your career as <laughs> the internet science man, was opening an online store something that you were really thinking that hard about or something you thought you'd do in a billion years? I was uh, making a shop before I was the internet science man. Oh, what? That was the first thing I did. I was that first. Wow, I got to learn my Hank history. How did that go for you? <laughs> Good. I'll, here's what I'll tell you. Like the the the... The part where we start selling a thing and you get to see the number go up is so exciting. And uh, when it's just like you uh, by yourself, you got to be careful. But luckily, (laughs) Shopify has all kinds of little tools to help you with that, to help you with increasing conversions, to help you with managing orders, with customer support, with all of the stuff. Uh, Because it's a, you know. I don't know. It feels like the industry standard. And so there are all kinds of plugins that you can use to make your Shopify work for you in particular. That's right. Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from vlogging in your parents' basement to treading the boards of Carnegie Hall. Now, it was my basement. It was my (laughs) basement of my own home that I was renting. (laughs) Downstairs of. (laughs) If you say so. From your first sale to your one millionth, Shopify is here to help you grow. And they've got a proven track record, my friends. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. and powers entrepreneurs in 175 countries. They have, as Hank mentioned, the Internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And they have award-winning customer service because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. You can sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tangents, all lowercase tangents. Go to shopify.com slash tangents now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash T-A-N-G-E-N-T-S, all lowercase. to SciShow Tangents, the lightly competitive knowledge showcase starring some of the geniuses that make the YouTube series SciShow happen. This week, as always, I'm joined by Steph and Jen. Mm-hmm. And 12 cups of coffee in my belly. <laughs> <laughs> what happened? Are you just sleepy? Uh, yeah, I was a little sleepy. What's your tagline? Really feeling malt flavor right now. Ah, I hear that. Mm. Sam Schultz is with us as well. Hello. What's your tagline? The big cheese. Mm. Sari Riley is joining us as usual. Yes. Great elbow patches. Thank you. Oh, they yeah. came with mm. the sweater. Sari, what's your tagline? Corn nut nightmares. Whoa. <laughs> and I'm Hank Green. My tagline is Cool Ranch Doritos. <laughs> Every week here in SciShow Tangents, we get together to try to amaze, one up, and delight each other with science facts. We're playing for glory. We're also playing to win. We award Sam Bucks from week to week, and we do what we can to stay on topic. But if we do go on a tangent, which we are likely to do, the rest of the team has to decide whether that tangent was worth it. And if not, you get docked a Sam Buck. Now, as always, we introduce this week's topic with the traditional science poem. This This week from Stefan. The ocean is huge and fills me with wonder. It's got sharks, squid, crabs, and the puffer. (laughs) And the deep sea anglerfish whose life is a bit tougher. 
plus a whole lot of other wet life to discover. <laughs> Looking out to the horizon, you might say the surface seems bare, but much of the action takes place under there. Mm-hmm. You could some. <laughs> Let's get the running commentary. What do you got? That's a full rhyme. Wow, Stephen. <laughs> you could submerge Mount Everest with a mild despair. It's so deep that exploring it takes more than just air. As you descend, animals start to change color, and at every depth, you can find a cucumber. Down at the bottom are vessels lost by land lovers and hydrothermal vents, those geothermal pumpers. Oh, <laughs> gross. It may have provided the soup where life did begin, and it keeps on supporting us by producing oxygen. We're really quite lucky that it's not all frozen, that wonderful wet blue thing in the ocean. <laughs> oh, no. I you like, see me after class. <laughs> like wet life. I like like just saying it's it's the wet life. The wet life. You, you know, know, we've got dry life dry and we got wet life. Yeah. There's the two kinds. Was there really a cucumber at every single level? I did, yes. Oh. At at all all levels of ocean depth. There, there is are a cucumber. cucumbers. And even wow. there are dry cucumbers too. Up here, outside of the ocean. <laughs> yes, that is true. It's sort of a separate thing. Anyway, the topic isn't cucumbers, it's the oceans. Sari, what's an ocean? Apparently, There's Mm -hmm. a geographical definition, but it seems very Mm hand-wavy. People agree that ocean covers about 70% of the Earth's surface. Mm -hmm. And there's like one big continuous ocean with many different basins, like the North Pacific, South Pacific, Mm -hmm. Atlantic, Indian, Arctic, etc. Yeah. Basin meaning what exactly? I think like a separate like dip in the ground. Mm -hmm. So there's some sort of ridge that separates them or continental mass Um, or plate tectonics that have separated these oceans uh, from. So it's not an arbitrary division or some of it is. It's probably fairly. It's a little bit arbitrary. Like you could definitely be like, well, the Atlantic and the Pacific are not the same. Yeah. But then you're like, oh, but look down here. They they do kind of connect. Yeah. 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 And like oceans and seas kind of bleed together too. Right, where, where it's like if it's it, the Baltic Sea is like you're the ocean, buddy. Yeah. I'm sorry. Gulf of Mexico, the ocean, ocean. definitely ocean. Yeah, ocean. Yeah. yeah, and the Sargasso Sea ocean. is all ocean. It's just like surrounded by ocean on all sides. No land because usually seas are surrounded by land partially, mm-hmm. but it's just like a different ocean current and some different seaweed that are in this one spot of ocean. So they're like, that's a sea yes, separate from the a, ocean. It has a certain je ne sais quoi. It's a special little bit of the sea that is not the sea, it's the sea. That's my Yeah, I don't know. What else do you want to know? There are different depths of the ocean. So like the surface ocean is where sunlight can penetrate in. And so that's where a lot of like the photosynthetic organisms float around. And then as you get deeper and deeper, it gets darker and darker and the, the life changes and becomes more sparse they and they eat color. a lot of garbage. Yeah, so we learned in the poem. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's all wet though. They eat a lot all of garbage wet. as in like poop from everybody else. Yeah, it's called yeah. marine snow, which okay. is like a very lovely oh, way yeah. to describe mm-hmm. a very gross Just thing. Just poop, poop and, and dead, dead bodies. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Fluttering down like snowflakes. Mm. And the etymology of the word ocean is from the Greek Boy, can't I can I not pronounce this? Oh. Okinos, which is the great stream encircling the Earth's disk. That is beautiful. Oh. Yeah. So it's from like a oh. an idea that was sort of a cosmic idea that was not real. <laughs> right. Yeah. Wrong about the shape of the Earth. <laughs> still nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it makes sense that it's like, oh, I see. Yeah, in a metaphorical I, way. Yeah, Come it's on. sort of like take the metaphor to make it the real thing. Mm-hmm. Also, if you were like a Greek philosopher staring out, it's like, ah, man, yeah. we're just surrounded by water. That's mm-hmm. it. 
that's all there is. Yeah, I'm distance. Greek. Yeah, <laughs> I can see it on all sides. Uh-huh. And now it's time for Truth or Fail. One of our panelists has prepared three science facts for our education and enjoyment, but only one of those is the truth. The other two are big fat lies. The rest of us have to figure out either by deduction or wild guess, which is the true fact. Sari has three facts oh. for us. What are they? Which of these inventions, inspired by the oceans, is real? So number one is a cloak to protect you from rain and wind that doubles as an inflatable boat as a more portable alternative to canoes and other boats. Number two, a chair with a basin for a seat that you fill with seawater and sit in to supposedly heal digestive issues or butt problems like hemorrhoids. So I just sit on a seat with ocean water in it. Yes. But is there plastic between me and the seat? Or is my butt in the seawater? Your butt is in the seawater. Or number three, a light wooden barrel-like tube with armholes so people could preserve their modesty while men and women beach segregation laws were still a thing. So they would walk around in the barrels. So, okay, first of all, <laughs> let's, before we get into it, we got three facts. One, you got a poncho that can serve as an inflatable boat, <laughs> basically. We got or a an chair. alternative to canoes. <laughs> what? <laughs> okay. Two, we got a chair that you fill up with seawater to heal your butt problems. <laughs> three, you got a barrel Barrel-like tube with armholes so that people could preserve their modesty during male-female beach segregation. Now, first of all, <laughs> is was there male-female beach segregation? Yeah, in at least the UK in the 1800s, uh-huh. 17, 1800s, I think as far as I can tell, men were allowed to run nude on the beaches because men could do whatever they dun, want. Dun, 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 if you wanted dun, to swim, um, you had to be segregated and then... Men couldn't look at the women in their bathing suits because it was seen as improper, sure, sure. and women couldn't look at the men because, because it was they, weren't they weren't wearing any clothes yeah. at all. <laughs> Beaches are just for guys. Yes. This is where we run nude. This is a dude zone. You can't come here here. to the nicest place. Yep. <laughs> where do the barrels enter the into this equation? They... So it like protects <laughs> their modesty. So people, so like people wanted. To swim near each other, oh, and okay. so they could protect their modesty, okay. like in the gotcha. in the realm where the intertidal zone. So let's say you have to go ask your wife a question. <laughs> yeah, put the barrel on. Yeah, you have <laughs> arms. Like, Susan, <laughs> Susan, are we having are we having meatballs tonight, yeah. or are we having pork? And you have the barrel on the whole time while this is happening. Yeah, yeah so no okay. one can see your body. Okay. Not suggestive I love at that all. one, and I'm just going to go with that oh one. Oh, my God. <laughs> Sam's all <laughs> on the barrel. I, you know, like, there is that thing about men wearing barrels. Yeah, when they're broke, when you're a rich when you're banker poor. man. And yeah, you're and poor, you get very poor, and you're suddenly wearing a barrel. <laughs> they take barrel. your clothes away, and they give you a barrel with straps on it. <laughs> it now, that could be what you're talking about. <laughs> it doesn't sound like it. it sounds know. like a sep- separate thing. Okay, so we're moving on to butt problems. Yeah, what is that? the temperature of the seawater? So it wasn't necessarily seawater. Like the rich people Mixed. could import the seawater. The poorer people for this invention, it was just salty water. So it was like boiled to get the salt dissolved and then like a warm bath water. And they'd but sit just with their the butts butt. yeah. in the warm yeah. That seems bath. plausible to me. Ah, so it's totally a thing. It's totally a six yeah. bath. They yeah, got a name for that. I don't want to talk about why I know about it. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> with the seawater, Water be more of an issue than just the salty water? That'd be healthy. Oh, oh that's true. It is a little weird for the rich people to use the stuff that's got more bacteria and yeah. life in it. And the poor people are probably doing the healthier yeah, people thing. People are drinking raw water these days. Yeah, but so. I totally see that rich people would think, oh, but it's from the ocean. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, it's imported. All the way from Key West. <laughs> 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 this is what a Floridian sounds like. <laughs> oh 
with all your research into billionaires, you nailed yeah. the accent. <laughs> yeah. Finally, a cloak to protect you from rain that doubles as an no. inflatable boat. Boat cloak. It seems like a no-brainer. If See, you're going to have a boat, you might as well put sleeves in it and wear <laughs> it around. I think it would be way, way too heavy if it was going to be a boat that was like sturdy enough to be taken seriously. So when was this boat invented? I think it was also around the same times as the beach segregation law. Oh, so okay. everything was sort of like 1800s in okay. all three of these things were okay. yeah. I was thinking if it was like 2018 I'm like well material science has come a long way <laughs> okay. no yeah. it's an old cloak slash boat <laughs> old cloak boat I'm gonna go uh, I mean the the the, the seawater basin feels too real to be real but the barrel the seems only one too that seems fake real. <laughs> to be real. Well, I'm going with hemorrhoid bath because that's the only one that makes sense. Okay. okay. But yeah. basin. I'm going to go with number one. I kind of didn't want to because I don't like spreading out our guesses. But ultimately, I think that I think number one is true. <laughs> Cloak boat is true. No. <laughs> 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 A little bit of reaction. <laughs> cool ranch Doritos. We love cloak boat or boat cloak. <laughs> it was designed by the Royal Navy Lieutenant Peter oh. Halkett during the 1840s. Here's it as a cloak, and there it is as a boat. <laughs> Wait, it's got, does it sure come with that's... a paddle? Like you just walk around with that yeah. as like your walking cane? Exactly. The ah, paddle is just... a walking cane, and the sail is an umbrella. What? So you have a whole outfit. That just turns into a boat and it comes with bellows that you can inflate it oh in in like three God. or four minutes. Where do you put the bellows? I don't know, maybe your pocket. Were these like a mass produced thing or was it just this dude who had one? It was not very popular, unfortunately. <laughs> Otherwise, we could all be wearing cloak boats today. It doesn't seem like it would come up that often that you'd need it, except if you were in the Navy. Yeah, I mean, I do yeah. live in Montana. <laughs> so he designed it for explorers and people who mm. had to cross rugged terrain and then yeah. go in like rocky okay. waters. Because it was also, it was an inflatable boat, but it was made out of like a thick rubbery material. So if you hit some like rough patches of water mm. and like a poorly constructed canoe would fall apart or break apart in those situations. Mm. But this raft thing could just keep yeah. bumping along. It's got mm-hmm. some flex to it. Yeah. yeah. So Lewis and Clark kind of folk might wear this. Yeah. As they're adventuring across mm. the... And it's just like, well, I'm wearing my boat. You don't have yeah. to have like a separate thing this in your backpack. <laughs> this should be the other option in the Oregon Trail game. Do you yeah. want to use cloak boat to get across <laughs> the river? <laughs> yeah, and so it's just like a way to navigate across like a river in your path or a right. bay or an inlet sure. or like part of an ocean that you had to go in no, and then go back out. I don't think you out. should go in the ocean with that. Well, it does, it like does not idea. seem seaworthy. How many people died? Sir John Franklin, who did an Arctic expedition in 1845 that became uh-huh. a lost expedition. Okay. Did not die because of the cloak boat, mm. but had one with him. Okay. Yeah. Mm. So there's... It didn't necessarily cloak. not die. Didn't, yeah. didn't, didn't <laughs> help. Yeah. Yes. Or maybe it did help. Who knows? Who but knows? Did, yeah. But it was taken on more Arctic expeditions, including those made by Sir George Simpson, Sir Richardson and Ray, Collinson mm. and McClure. Don't know who any of these men are. Probably just like rich people who are like, I would like a cloak boat, please. Mm. <laughs> and this... 
Uh, Peter Halkett, he also designed a two-person inflatable cloth boat that oh. just rolled up, so it was not a cloak because it would have been too long for mm-hmm. a cloak to fit mm-hmm. two people in. Could have been a double cloak. Yeah. You and your friend both wearing the same cloak. Yeah. Or like, like you're like extra tall because you're two people on top sitting of each on each other. other. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it never caught on. It was like really... <laughs> no way. <laughs> I would love one. I yeah. want a cloak boat. <laughs> and, but he like tried to get it to popular use, but there weren't enough explorers using it. Right. And then yeah, like, rich like people didn't want market. it. Yeah. yeah. And so there are only two, I think, left in existence oh, now. That's They're more both than in museums. Talked. Sarah, did people ever wear barrels? There is an airtight oak barrel with <laughs> arms sticking out from it, but it was an early diving suit, oh, not a modesty oh, okay. barrel. Would it just be your fleshy arms sticking out of the barrel? Yeah. But your head yeah, is no. in the barrel? Wouldn't it like leak? They like wrapped their arms in leather and like stuffed them really hard <laughs> into the holes. So this is the barrel. This is the oaken oh, barrel. Oh my god! Is there like a little plate so you can see through? I don't know. <laughs> it I think so. Like it's a barrel. Yeah, there's like a little tiny eye hole maybe because that's like a person size. <laughs> so this was invented by an Englishman named John Lethbridge. He was the first person to create a diving suit that let him recover stuff from wrecked ships. Uh, and it was this barrel thing. And it was like watertight enough that he could go down, but like free moving enough that he could stick his arms out and grab, grab things. Some gold. Yeah. And then he did this like they'd pull him up and I, he'd just have gold in his hands. I think so. I think they would like pull him up somehow. And he would just stay yeah, down just, there for a really long time collecting things, maybe putting it in a bag or something uh, like right, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And oh, then loot bag. until he got a little bag. dizzy and uh. then he like float up. Right, because there's no like well, air circulation. The barrel's just full. It's just a barrel, yeah. It definitely seems like a first draft. <laughs> yeah. For a diving site. Yeah, it was. There was a lot, a lot a lot of other things were done. But that is awesome. That museum picture is great. And we'll be at the show notes at scishowtentious.org. And then as far as like the butt bath, that is not true. When hydrotherapy was a big thing in Victorian era England, then people were like, ah, the ocean is good for your health. And so then they created this, which is a wave and rocking bath, which is basically like a giant tub that you could rock back and yes. forth in nice. and like simulate the ocean. And it was oh, supposed to really rocking chair you. bath. Yeah. For people who can't click on a link, it's like a like a crescent moon filled with ocean like water that you just carriage. rock yourself yeah. back and forth yeah. in. Yeah. It, like the big things that they proclaimed for this, it was a sensation which will delight and benefit you uh-huh. and there will be no splashing in the room. <laughs> I don't know how it stays so <laughs> self-contained. But, yeah. uh, no splashing <laughs> in your room. No splashing. It's a no splashing zone. Your parlor. People had a lot too much time on their hands back then. Yeah. yeah too much the money now. too. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. A rocking chair full of seawater sounds dope. Yeah, we could build you one. (laughs) Next up, we're going to take a short break, and then it's time for the Fact Off. SciShow Tangents is brought to you by Rocket Money. If I asked you how many subscription services you had, you think you could name them all? And before you just start naming streaming apps, remember that basically everything has a subscription these days. Video games, dating apps, food delivery apps. It's a subscription service world. We're just living in it. And with all of these subscriptions, it can feel like money is just flying out of your account. And that, frankly, sucks. 
but Rocket Money can help. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money can help you negotiate to lower some bills for you by up to 20%. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in total canceled subscriptions. Escape from the planet of the subscription services and stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash tangents. That's rocketmoney.com slash tangents. Rocketmoney.com slash T-A-N-G-E-N-T-S. SciShow Tangents is brought to you by Manukora Honey. Miriam Webster defines honey as a sweet, viscid material elaborated out of nectar of flowers in the honey sack of various bees. And that's all good and fine, but old Miriam and Webster... (laughs) Use some words that I don't know and didn't really hit the mark when it comes to talking about Manukora honey. First off, Manukora isn't just sweet and viscid. It's got a rich, complex taste and a creamy, melt-in-your-mouth texture that you won't find in your average, everyday grocery store honey. And nectar of flowers doesn't cut it when you're talking about the nectar of the Manuka tea tree in New Zealand, the only nectar these bees feed on in the production of Manukora honey. In conclusion, Manukora... Ain't just your average boring dictionary defined honey. It's special honey. I know this firsthand. Uh, they sent us a jar, a squeeze bottle, and some honey sticks. And we've been sharing them around the office of their MGO 850 Plus, their best selling honey. It's not the same. <laughs> it's not what you're thinking of when you think of honey. Look, have you ever think to yourself, if like a company made grapes for the first time, we'd go nuts? I feel like honey is this way where I'm like, if anybody like made this up, we'd be going out of our minds. But this is like if honey happened again. Did you like the honey, Sari? So I moved into a new place where there's no insulation in the walls. And so uh, I've been drinking a lot of tea and Mm -hmm. sometimes that tea needs a little bit of honey. And I initially poured in this honey thinking it was going to be grocery store honey. And then I was like, that's different. And now it's a little uh, breakfast treat. It's a great breakfast treat because it's 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 a little like it's for toast. I could put like this on my butter toast and I'm like, oh, I'm having an experience. So Merriam-Webster also defines ultimate as the best or most extreme of its kind. Now that one fits Manukora to a T. Indulge in the best or most extreme sweet viscid material elaborated out of nectar of flowers in the honey sack of various bees from Manukora. If you head to manukora.com slash tangents, you can get $25 off their starter kit, which comes with the MG850 Plus Manuka Honey, a free travel pack of honey sticks, a free wooden spoon, and also a free guidebook. That's M-A-N-U-K-O-R-A dot com slash tangents to get $25 off your starter kit. Welcome back, everybody. Sam Buck totals. Sari's got two. I've got one, and Stefan's got one, and Sam has zero at the moment. But now is your Ooh, time to cheaters. come back, boy. Uh, I'm not going to. You can try. Yeah. You don't do. <laughs> what do you know? <laughs> so it's time for the fact off, where two panelists, this time Sam and I, have brought science facts to present to the others in an attempt to blow their minds. The presentees each have a Sam Buck to award to the fact that they like the most, and to decide who goes first, we're going to answer this question from. Emma Siegfried at Tagalong572 on Twitter. 
There are a lot of people saying that coral reefs are dying. How much of the coral reefs are actually still alive slash left? The closest percent wins. Would you like to go first? Hmm. Yes. Okay. 65%. I will say 80%. Sam wins. Sam Whoa. wins! Yay! What's 47.968%. Oh. Oh, no. oh, I was you. way too optimistic. That's very... That really that's just shows my privilege, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I just think things are fine and they're not. Mm-hmm. 80% of the corals in my mansion are still alive. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'll go first, I guess. Okay. In late 2019, NASA satellites spotted an island measuring 150 square kilometers or more than twice the size of Manhattan that had seemingly appeared out of nowhere near the Tonga Archipelago. This wasn't Atlantis or some freaking thing like that. It was a pumice raft, which is formed by lava released by the eruption of a previously undiscovered underwater volcano cooling into buoyant rocks and then floating together in a huge mass. The rocks were like marble sized to like basketball sized. (gasps) It's a known phenomenon, but it's completely unpredictable and it only happens once every couple of decades. And this one wasn't even close to the biggest one. In 2012, the New Zealand Navy took pictures of one that was 26,000 square kilometers. So it's about the size for comparison of Haiti. Whoa. Mm. 26, which is 27,000 square kilometers. Can it support... My body? I think you would be ground to a a dust. That is the thing about them. (laughs) They are not nice. Oh. So scientists know kind of the basics about them because they're just like rocks full of holes in air, so they float. But they can float for years at a time and travel thousands of miles. And sometimes they last up until just the stones like grind against each other until they're sand. Mm. So you would be killed probably if you were trying to. (laughs) It's not my traveling island Your skin would look great though. So the fact that they could float for so long has been something that stymied scientists for a long time because something porous like that submerged in water Mm -hmm. they thought should fill up with water Mm. and sink to the bottom or all of its gases should seep out and it would also sink to the bottom in that case. This mystery was solved in 2017 when researchers at UC Berkeley x-rayed pieces of a pumice raft that they gathered and discovered that the answer was pretty simple. Mm. The water seeped into the stones to a certain point but couldn't seep into smaller pores near the middle of it. And so then the water would end up trapped because of surface tension, like on either side of the tubes it was getting in. So it would clog up the pores so the gas couldn't get out. Oh, yeah, yeah, Except it would get out really, really slowly. And that's why it can float around for years. And eventually it does sink. Yeah, yeah. Because otherwise, I guess the entire ocean would just be rocks. I guess so. (laughs) That would be bad. That would be good. (laughs) That would be a very strange outcome. (laughs) There was some excitement. Uh, slash overblown pop science articles proclaiming that the 2019 raft, which was the one as big as Manhattan or twice as big as Manhattan Island, was on a course to pass the Great Barrier Reef. So they thought that people were saying that it would save the reef by depositing marine life onto it because marine life grabs onto <laughs> yeah. the, the raft as it goes. And coral polyps are known to, to mm-hmm. be in the raft too. But in an interview in Scientific American, a coral biologist said that for that to happen, the marine life would pretty much have to make the conscious decision to jump off of the raft. <laughs> yeah, be like, I like that better. <laughs> to the Great Barrier Reef, which they can't do because they are coral polyps and they don't have brains, maybe? Yeah. Or they have very tiny ones. <laughs> Does that affect like evaporation where 
Yeah, the same way like the would. black balls in the reservoir. Mm-hmm. It doesn't seem like there's a measurable effect of much of anything because of oh. them. Like they don't deposit very much life places. It doesn't seem like they mess anything up. Like boats can well, go through them. Books, but, okay, that was my question. If yeah. like you take a sailboat through them enough, I'd feel like your sailboat would kind of get it would probably up. get dinged up. Yeah, I think that it can be dangerous, but there are videos of people like in catamarans in the middle mm. of these things, and <sighs> it just looks like rocks as far as the eye can see it's really nuts but i don't know if the evaporation thing because they sink and raise during so the, the day. water is sort of because so, like when the gas bit. heats up and cools oh, down it goes up and down so maybe they just i yeah. don't know huh. don't seem to do much of anything for like that many rocks <laughs> seems like you do more <laughs> yeah. if you're a bunch of rocks the size of haiti yeah. seems like you do something mm-hmm. turns out i'm just a rock i would like to tell you about my fact if you guys are ready are you okay. ready mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. okay Albatrosses are big birds. They're very cool. And uh, they have a sort of a mythological connections with fishermen. They also have some ecological connections with fishermen, which is that they can get caught in fishermen's nets mm-hmm. as they're sort of trying to pick stuff out of them or just by chance, and that can kill them, which is bad for albatrosses. So scientists want to study this. They want to understand the connection between albatrosses and the fishing industry. So they took 50 albatrosses, grabbed them, and connected a tracker to their backs. And they wanted to know how often and how close these albatrosses got to fishing boats. So in that tracker, they had a thing that that detected radar signals and the radio signals that boats transmit to say, like, I'm here and everything's okay. Like, they've got different radio signals that mean different things on boats, mostly for safety. And so they've got, like, a signal that they send out all the time that's like a everything's okay right now signal. And so that way they could tell how close how close the albatrosses were getting to the boats, which is really smart because, like, you don't have to take pictures. You could just do it with the radio signals mm. and with, like, detecting the radar that the boats send out. So they got good data from this, and it was super useful. They understood more about, like, male albatrosses do a different thing than female albatrosses, and that helped them better understand the ecology and the boat dynamics that were going on. But... The weird thing was they discovered that sometimes albatrosses would find boats and this was all being transmitted live so they didn't have to recatch the the tracker it went straight to a satellite and got beamed to the scientists sometimes they'd come across boats that were transmitting radar but they were not transmitting the everything's okay signal and that happens when the boat is fishing illicitly. Because if you're transmitting oh. the everything is all case signal, people can find you. Mm-hmm. And the albatrosses were, because they were flying around the ocean and like deep ocean, like far away where it's very hard to track what people are doing. And sometimes in international waters, they were finding boats that they could tell with their trackers were illicit fishing boats. And then they were like, okay, great. We got some good data, but we also have an albatross wide tracking system to find illegal fishermen. And they are now using it to track and catch illegal fishing boats. So there's like a like an albatross surveillance state in the open ocean. <laughs> and and if ever there was like a good come up and the albatrosses are like, yes, yeah, sometimes you kill me and sometimes you go to jail. Isn't there a meme about how birds are run by the government? <laughs> yeah, totally. Birds, yeah, are, birds are fake. It's like a conspiracy uh, theory. Huh? Well, the birds are narcs, huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the birds are narcs. Can't trust now. anybody anymore. That's right. So this is still a, a test concept thing. We are not in the albatross surveillance state yet. They have yeah. they have identified, they have gotcha. done it. They have found illegal fishing, fishing boats. Okay. 
But it's not like every albatross is tagged with a tracker at this point. No, not yet. What do you guys think? You got to vote. Yeah, we got to vote. Who usually, do you usually say? I I can say three, two, one if you guys are ready. Three, two, one. Pumice. Oh, Sam. Pumice. (laughs) I can be called Pumice. I I forgot that we said names. I'm so tired. (laughs) Okay, we share, Sam, you and I. And I got a fun new name. (laughs) (laughs) So I really want Now it's time to ask the science couch. We've got a listener question for our couch of finely honed scientific minds. At Noisy Game Maker and at SM McLean95 asks, why are the oceans salty? <laughs> That's how they talk. No, it's not. <laughs> uh, I've got some like vague sense of why the oceans are salty, which is why like any any body of water at the end of the water uh, cycle gets salty. It's the trash bin. It's sort of like all the salt gets dissolved as it's running down the land, and then when it evaporates, the salt doesn't go back up. The water goes up, and so over time, the concentration of salt increases, uh, which is like extra true of the Great Salt Lake, mm. where the basin of water is smaller and more of it's evaporating away, and other mm. salt lakes like that. So those why those places are saltier than the ocean. What I don't know is why the amount of salt in the ocean stays constant. Oh. It is not always increasing the way that that would be the case. Ha- has it increased, though, over the history of Yes, Earth? but it reached a point where it stopped increasing, mm. and there's a reason for that, and I don't know what it is. I don't know either. <laughs> <laughs> I do know that salt also comes from hydrothermal vents, so not only oh, like running okay, off yeah. from rocks eroding, mm. but also from the seafloor, like those spew out salts and minerals and different mm. things. Yeah. There's got to be also some de- deposition of salts happening where... You know, in certain chemical situations, rocks at the bottom of the ocean or newly uncovered rocks are reacting and taking some salt out of the ocean. Yeah. And it seems like so I wasn't able to find a specific answer to my biggest question, which is why sodium and chloride ions stick around, because it's like Mm -hmm. we're talking about salts and chemically that means a lot of different compounds, like Mm -hmm. ionic compounds, but specifically like if we lick the ocean, it tastes salty because yeah. it's table salt that's dissolved in mm-hmm. the water, which is sodium chloride. As far as I can tell from cobbling together random internet people and <laughs> NOAA. <laughs> the National Oceanic Atmospheric Administration. Yes. Uh, Not a guy. Not, Not a guy. <laughs> My, My friend, good Noah. friend Noah. <laughs> so some ions tend to get used up by organisms and removed by natural processes while others don't get used. And so things like potassium are really abundant, but like sea life uses it mm. or it gets cycled back into like the oceanic crust more often. But sodium and chloride have, for some reason, slower removal rates than other oh. dissolved Ions. So where where is it? Was Hank just right when he was saying that's where it all came from? Mm -hmm. So is there just salt in every rock has salt in it? Yeah. Yeah. Well, like yeah. Ions. Ions are everywhere. Atoms are everywhere. Uh, We learned about that last episode. (laughs) (laughs) Rivers are full of different salts, including sodium chloride and other like atomic minerals, like calcium, magnesium, magnesium, yeah, sulfates, everything, and then it just all gets funneled into the ocean. And I think in the rivers, some organisms use those minerals too. But for some reason in the ocean, it's just like higher sodium chloride Mm -hmm. concentration, but also all those other minerals in one big 
pool of here's where all the water goes, I guess. Mm-hmm. But also the answer to why there's so much sodium chloride is question mark. Yeah. Right. As opposed to the other ones. Right. I mean, it, it seems like we have some idea that they like it, those other ions are being used by organisms mm-hmm. and sinking to the bottom or getting stored up in biological tissue mm-hmm. slash they react with the crust. Hmm. And it's possible that like a marine biologist or some sort of geographer, I don't know what field yeah, this would be. Geochemistry. Yeah, yeah. Would would have like a better answer, yeah. but I couldn't find one in my research. It could be some trivial question in the field. <laughs> they don't even think about it anymore. <laughs> yeah, you learn it in How 101. How boring yeah. <laughs> to think about the salty water. So if there are any of those that follow our Twitter account, let me know. Sam Buck final scores. Sam, one. Stefan, one. Tied for second. Sari and Hank tied for first. (laughs) (laughs) If you like this show and you want to help us out, it's really easy to do that. You can leave us a review wherever you listen. Super helpful and it helps us know what you like about the show. Also, we look at iTunes reviews for topic ideas for future episodes. So leave those topic ideas in the reviews. Second, you can tweet out your favorite moment from this episode. And finally, if you want to show your love for SciShow Tangents, just tell people about us. Thank you for joining us. I've been Hank Green. I've been Sari Riley. I've been Stephen Chin. And I've been Sam Schultz. SciShow Tangents is a co-production of Complexly and the wonderful team at WNYC Studios. It's created by all of us and produced by Caitlin Hoffmeister and Sam Schultz, who also edits a lot of these episodes along with Hiroka Matsushima. Our editorial assistant is Deboki Chakravarti. Our sound design is by Joseph Tuna Medish. Our social media organizer is Victoria Bongiorno. Special thank you this week to Alexis Dahl. And we couldn't make any of this without our patrons on Patreon. Thank you. And remember, the mind is not a vessel to be filled, but a fire to be lighted. But one more thing. There's a small netophore called M. Ladyi, a.k.a. the warty comb jelly or sea walnut, which does are it, both great names, that has a transient anus. Oh, phew. Oh, excellent. <laughs> does not great. go in our butts. When they eat and they just like push the waste toward their skin through a canal, at the very last moment, a hole opens up so the poop can fly out mm. and then it just like closes back up and disappears. Is like it like a gooey membrane or something that it's opening up in, or what are we talking about? Not just like about? punching a hole through their skin. Oh. oh. Yeah, Hydra are like that where they don't have a mouth until they do, and then they just rip their fucking face open <laughs> and eat into it. Just grow a mouth, guys. <laughs> that was like why they've been studying this, because they're like, this is probably what happened before we had anuses. Can you imagine your butt ripping every time well, you had you poop? Know. I can. It probably took uh. a while. <laughs> <laughs> Back to the sits baths. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs>